0: Thanks for joining us again, and let's get to the service. Well, thank you, Angus and the team, and and, um, I do love the opportunity to be able to pray for our our young people in our midst as they head out and learn a little bit more about Jesus and about what it means to follow Him in the world. I do wonder how many of you, in your experience, had, had Sunday school as a part of your faith journey on a Sunday morning, and here you are. And so that's why it matters so much to us that we would be able to honour, pray, support, resource the young people that are in our midst, both the ones we've met and the ones we're yet to meet, that we believe God will bring as we uh, make young people a, a priority, their discipleship a priority in our midst. But that's not what I'm up here to talk about. Sorry, I got distracted. We're talking about radical generosity this morning. But I've got a question for you as we begin. What does it look like? How do you live a radically generous life, I wonder? Most of us know someone that we would describe as generous. Anyone know a generous person? You might consider yourself that generous person, and that's okay. That's good to be generous. But generosity, if we were to define it, is a willingness to give of what we have for the sake of someone else. That's mostly what we would understand generosity to be, to give of what we have for the sake of someone else. But what about radical generosity? The term radical is not a familiar term we use too often. In fact, it often doesn't have a positive connotation in our world. So often we hear radicalism connected to religion, of the, the parts of religion that we would seek to criticise, perhaps in different ways, Or the parts of a radical culture that we disagree with would be considered radical, extreme, or extraordinarily different. And so often radical doesn't have a particularly positive connotation in our culture. But I want to talk about radical generosity this morning. And you might not think that you have the capacity to be radically generous in your life and in your faith journey. But what I want to show you during our time together is that radical generosity is a whole lot more about perspective than it is about capacity. I'll say that again. Radical generosity is a lot more about perspective than it is about capacity. And what that means is that every one of us have the ability to live Not just a regularly generous life, but a radically generous life. And so why are we talking about this? Well, we're in a series at the moment called Shaping Culture. And it's a series that we're working through in Lent, in the lead up to Easter. And it's a series that explores who we are as a local church and what it means for us to live out our calling in the world. And so in the first week, I explored our vision as a church, the the why we are here, and it's to see lives transformed with the good news or the gospel of Jesus Christ. We believe that it is the gospel, is the only power in the world that has the capacity to truly transform a life. And then we're working our way through our core values. And so in the first week, we heard about authentic community. And last week, Ken brought a word about fervent prayer, which I mentioned earlier. And today, we're going to talk about our third of our five values, radical generosity. And if you've missed any of these messages, I would invite you, I'd encourage you to catch up on our podcast, catch up on our Facebook or YouTube. You can see all of our videos all, all of our messages and services up on there if you want to catch up on what's going on. And so we're going to talk radical generosity today. And, and so I wonder what comes to mind for you? When you hear that word, generosity, what comes to mind? Could it be that friend that always seems to pay for dinner? I remember we had a life group uh, a few years ago when Eloise and I were a young married, younger married couple and um, we'd have a life group and we would always go out for dinner regularly, about once a month as a life group, and we had a running joke that someone would get the bill first. I don't know if this exists in any other con- like context. But it would be a, a, a competition to see who could get, who could sneak away from the table while we were having conversation and go and pay for everybody, and then that, and, and and so that would be the competition in some sense of who could be the most generous, not in a in a, in a um, uh, sort of a prideful way, but just in a, in a sneaky underhanded, We would just wanted to out generous one another. And then there would be an ongoing competition of who could slip 20 bucks into someone else's purse to help cover that. So there was this strange relationship of generosity. So you might have a friend that always pays for dinner, or you might have your parents that paid for university, or let you drive their car. It might be that relative that's always willing to come around and spend time, one of our most valuable resources, generously with you around a cup of coffee, it might be that person you know that gives great presents, you know that person who just gives thoughtful, great presents, we've all got one of those, I'm not one of those people, I'm sorry, if you're expecting a present from me or hoping for one, you might get one but it won't be the great most, I'm not a creative present giver, I'm sorry about that. Or it might be someone who volunteers their time to serve others, all of those things are expressions of generosity. And generosity is everywhere in our culture. It's not a specifically Christian idea. But as we begin to talk about it, I've got two observations I want to make about generosity. The first one is that I believe that we are generous. You and I as human beings have the ability to be generous because God made us that way. As Christians, we believe in something called imago Dei. And it's a fancy way of saying that you and I are created in the image of God. That you and I, no matter our age or our stage, our class or our race, every single one of us is an image bearer of the God that created us. And that's where we get our understanding in the world, by the way, that human life is more than a commodity to be traded, or is it, but the, instead that a human life has an ingrained, inherent, intrinsic value of some type. That's where this comes from. That it's a, that your life has more value than what you can produce or how much you've achieved. And now I wonder if that that could, if I hear, if you hear nothing else, that could be a word for you today. You've been wondering. Why am I even here? Like, am I worth anything at all? Maybe just God's words simply for you this morning is that you are created in the image of God and if you did nothing else in your life, that would be enough for you to have value and significance and meaning in the world. But yours and my ability to be generous is actually a characteristic of God who is generous. That if God created everything, then whatever we have, whatever we hold, whatever we taste, whatever we touch is a gift from a generous God, who didn't give it to us because He had to, He gave it to us because He wanted to. And when we give of something we have to someone else, we're reflecting God's image of generosity that was placed within each of us. In fact, I believe that generosity doesn't make sense in a world without God. Now, I don't know where you're at in terms of faith and, and, and things like that, but I don't believe that generosity actually makes sense without God in the equation somewhere. Because if we're merely uh, might is right culture, if we're merely biology, and that our power is what determines our ability to flourish as human beings, that if I'm stronger than you, then I get to, to domineer you, if, if uh, I'm biologically superior, then I'm just, I get to, to control the world around me. If that's the way that the world was meant to be, and that's what the truth of the world is, if God isn't there, then generosity doesn't make sense. Because why would I give something of myself, which diminishes my power, to help you? To help you be better than you were before. So I believe that generosity exists in the world because you and I were created in the image of a God that is generous. That's my first observation. So my second observation is this. That we, humanity, seem to do a really good job of making generosity about us. And the the thing that first comes to mind for me is generosity as a marketing tool. I remember reading some articles when I first researched this, and when I preached this as a core value some 18 months ago. I read a couple of articles about generosity in our broader culture. And one was from from a writer called Ekaterina Walter. She wrote in Forbes magazine in 2015, And she wrote, Generosity as a Business Practice, was the title of her article, in Forbes magazine. And her main thesis was this. She predicted that within five years, after 2015, that the customer experience, so the way you and I experience the services we get from a business, will be the prevailing point of competition over innovation. So it's not going to be about how good the products are, They'll all be roughly the same. Instead, the prevailing point of difference will be our experience with business, that we do business with. Who here decides who they're going to buy something from beyond something other than the product itself? You want to buy locally. We want to buy ethically. We want to buy from the people that treat us like a human being rather than a commodity, right? That's what we want as Human beings, when we buy things. Bounce forward three years. 2018, another article in Forbes magazine. Keeping in mind that Ekaterina predicted this by 2020. She predicted that our experience would be the prevailing point. By 2018, Adam Butler produced an article with the title, Generosity is good business. Generosity is good business. And his thesis was that social responsibility will be a powerful, or he observed that it is a powerful capital in our culture, and that businesses need to leverage social responsibility, which is the generosity of a business, so that we the customer can notice them and think better of them. So in three years, generosity has begun to be twisted to no longer be about actually having a better relationship, but it's been twisted so that we the consumer would think better of the business because they are generous in the world. Isn't that interesting? Then one year later, four years after the prediction of Miss Walter, an article by Ali Yuren, why a culture of generosity is good for your business. And her thesis was generosity shapes the type of attachment that you and I have with a business, and our affection as the consumer determines what we buy. And she says this, a culture of generosity through giving back to the community and consumers can help to set your business apart and demonstrates the power of gratitude within humanity. What's the one guiding rule? Ensure that the things that you give out to your consumer base are appropriate and fit your brand. If you produce Rolexes, give out something that, is, that would show a person that, that buys a Rolex that you really value who they are. If you're a premium brand, use generosity and gifts to reflect that privileged brand. How interesting that business and enterprise have managed to twist the beautiful, powerful spirit of generosity that God has given us to be about manipulation and control, and about ultimately gaining business and sales through expressing generosity. Now, I only tell you that to give you an illustration of what the the generosity, I say generosity, we are made in the image of God, and so generosity is actually part of God's rhythm for the world. Yet, you and I as humanity are really good at twisting generosity to be about us. We'll give so that we feel better. We give so that we can gain something back. Now, that's, it's just part of who we are. I'm not accusing anyone of anything. I'm certain, I certainly know I'm as guilty of this as, as anyone. But have you ever noticed in our culture that people are sometimes sceptical of generosity? There was an interesting study done, I think it was on Wall Street, a, a Christian pastor uh, went down the street with a $100 American note, tried to give it away. He got 15 blocks in Manhattan before he would give away a $100. 15 blocks. blocks—that's off- That's a lot of people. Before someone would accept that money because they didn't believe that there was no strings attached. What has happened to generosity in the world? If that is how hard it is to give away some money. But, that, but when we turn to Scripture, which I promised we would do, because this is a sermon after all, Scripture has an, an awful lot to say about generosity. And it's certainly affirmed as good and right and just. And the basic thesis of Scripture is that generosity is better than selfishness. In Proverbs chapter 11, verses 24 and 25, we read this. Solomon writes, One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly and comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. That doesn't make any sense to us. But there's a mysterious causality connected into generosity in the world. So when we give, for some reason, we gain something. When we give genuinely for the purposes of not gaining anything in return, when we just seek to refresh someone. King Solomon, who was given the gift of wisdom by God, and wrote an awful lot just observing the world, he says, I've noticed something. When a person gives freely, they seem to gain. And when they try and refresh someone else, they themselves are, are refreshed. Have you ever experienced that? When you give, something happens in us. A mysterious causality connected to generosity. When we look at honoring a life, we look at what not what that person has gained to, to themselves in life, but what they've given away. True? When you get up and hear someone share a eulogy at a funeral, they don't talk about how much that person gained in their life, they actually talk about and honour how much that person gave away. Isn't that interesting? Something happens, Scripture says, when we look to the needs of others, we ourselves are refreshed. So when we are generous, we're not left wanting, is what Scripture would say, but secondly, Scripture tells us that generosity orients our heart away from the things that are uncertain, towards the things that are certain. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, in verse 17, we read the Apostle Paul, he writes, A command those who are rich in this present world, anyone consider themselves rich? I don't know. I wonder, what would it look like for you to be rich? To have $10,000 more than you've got right now, right? I wonder if everyone... Let's find that an interesting phenomenon. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor put their hope in wealth, which is uncertain. But to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. The thing about wealth is, it is uncertain. Did anyone, not to be insensitive, but the global financial crisis... COVID? How many people had investments that struggled during that season? What's our our, um, interest rate like right now? You invest some money, you get about 0.01% interest per year? That's a positive investment, isn't it? How do we know what that's going to do? We don't. And so what does that tell us? That Paul was right. The money is uncertain. Instead, he says, command them. That's those who are rich to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous, be willing to share what we have. And in this way, we lay up treasures for ourselves, not here in this life, so that we can buy stuff and just fill a house with furniture that we're not going to need because of rooms that we don't go into. Formal dining rooms, formal lounge rooms, anyone got one of those? How often you go in there? We ha- I had one growing up, and I reckon I went in there five times in about five years. Some, it, let's not use our riches, Paul says, to lay up treasures in the now. Instead, be rich in good deeds and willing to share it, and by doing so, we lay up treasure for ourselves as a firm foundation for the coming age that we might take hold of the life that is truly life. Riches, we can't take them when we go. A stuff. What happens to that library of extraordinarily rare books that you have acquired in your life? When you die, your children come along and they sell them because they don't value them the way you do. So there's no, there's no point putting our hope in, in that space, in that stuff that we can gather because we can't take it when we go. And there's certain, no certainty that we'll keep it when we're here because of investment, of banks, forces outside of our control, you might have a fire in your house for something that no one saw coming, you might have a car accident that wasn't your fault in that brand new car that you you know, do you understand what I mean? Like, we don't have the ability to control any of that. So, we're not, we can't take it when we go and we're not certain we'll keep it while we're here. And those who have a lot of it, in my observation and conversation, increasingly discover that it doesn't buy them the contentment they're looking for. Instead, we're called to use what we have for the benefit of others. And when we do that, it transforms our heart and becomes a foundation for the coming kingdom. Now, this is not saying that if I give away... To someone who needs it, I'm going to get a Ferrari in heaven. That's not what this is talking about. Although I'd love for that to be true, I don't believe that's what this is talking about. This is not about giving to others now so that we can gain in heaven. What this is actually talking about is that generosity orients our heart towards God. It orients our heart away from our stuff and towards God. And the God is the one, is the only one, that can truly bring us fulfillment in this life. So when we are generous, we're laying a firm foundation of relationship with the one that can truly fulfill us. Don't miss that. That so when we are generous, what we're doing is we're not laying down a firm foundation of Ferraris in heaven, we're laying down a firm foundation of a relationship with the God who truly satisfies, who truly fulfills. And we've got a, I preach a series called Matters of the Heart every year around stewardship. And I'm going to explore that idea a little bit more later on in the year. But our generosity orients our heart towards something, not that it's uncertain, stuff, but is certain, God. But then I've got a question for you. And it's the question that came to mind as I explored all of this. You might be asking, Josh, what do I do when I don't feel like it? Because we like to, to think that generosity is a is something we can do, it's noble, it's just, it's good. We can do it because we're creating the image of God. All of that is great. But Josh, what do I do when I just don't feel like it? We all know that dieting is a good idea, but what about when we don't feel like it? When we just feel like eating cake? What do we do? Is there something within us that has the willpower to just not eat that cake? Well, there isn't in me. So what do we do with this generosity when we don't feel like it? when we actually don't have the ability. When things are running out, when the world gets complicated, when it's not obvious that we're going to have enough if we are generous the way we feel like we should, what do we, what do, we do with that? And that's what I call... Radical generosity. When we give because we can, that's generosity. But when we give when it's hard, that's radical generosity. And friends, I've got to be honest with you. There's, there's nothing I can say to you this morning that will convince you to be generous when it's hard. There's nothing I can say that will convince you cognitively To be generous when your life is complicated, when you don't have enough to know how you're going to make your ends meet, when you feel like you don't have enough, there's nothing I can say which will encourage you to be generous in that season. Radical radical generosity, friends, only comes from one place. It comes from a, a transformation of the heart. Comes from a transformation of the heart that only comes from understanding the radical generosity of Jesus towards us. There's nothing else in life that can bring about radical generosity except understanding the radical generosity of the God that created us. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, the Apostle Paul writes it this way. He says, but since you excel in everything, you're good followers of Jesus in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love that we have kindled for you, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. He commends the Corinthian church. I'm not commanding you to do it, because there's no way you can command people to give sacrificially. He says, but I want to test your sincerity. I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others, the the zeal of others. And then he gets to this. See, Paul knew it. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that through His poverty you might be rich. Friends, the truth of the gospel is that Jesus displayed radical generosity for you and for me. That you and I were separated from God. We're in brokenness. We're in selfishness. We call that sin. That might, some people consider that an offensive term in our day and age, but it is part of our human condition, the selfishness of our nature. That's why you don't have to teach a kid not to share. They just know how. How do they know? It's part of the selfishness in our nature. But to restore the relationship that sin separates us from, the relationship with God. God sent His Son, Jesus, who lived a perfect life, lived a totally sinless life, but then died a criminal's death on a cross, a barbaric one. But when He died... He took on the curse of sin, that our sin deserves, and gave the blessing of obedience that His perfect life deserved, to us. He took our sin, free of charge, and gave His blessing of a perfect, sinless relationship with God, to us, as a free gift of grace so that we can experience a life of fullness in His name now. A life that is free of guilt, shame, fear. And When we truly understand that gift, what it actually means for us, how extraordinary it is that Jesus would do that for us, when we accept that, it transforms our heart to a place where we ch- we can choose to give, even when life is tough. Because something has happened, it changed our heart, and we recognize how much Jesus gave. When things got tough. He prayed in the garden, Father, if this cup of sin and of this cup of suffering can be taken from me, please let it happen. God, if there is another way for us to save the world from sin, please let it be so. He prayed in the garden on his knees, weeping blood. But not my will but yours be done, he said. And he went to the cross for us. For you. And so this is where our core value comes from. I believe we are called to be a church that is generous, absolutely. But not just generous, radically generous. Radically generous. Individually, in our own life, and as a church. And part of that response is the way that we steward our facility here, that we as a church, one of our key strategies of ministry is called a community partnership. And we get to know and we connect with organizations and businesses in our community and share our facility with them, if their business or their organization is about human flourishing in the world. So one of our expressions of radical generosity is that we pay to maintain this place this building, that building, that building over there we pay to maintain those and we choose to share it if I'm going to be transparent with you because one of our values is authentic community we share it at no cost to those that we have built a partnership with who are about human flourishing in the world why? Because one of our values is radical generosity generosity that is not about our benefit but about Costing us something for the sake of the world we are called to serve. So as I finish, I've got two questions for you. The first one is, if you feel like you're missing something in your life, if you feel like you came here wondering about what this world is and how it all works, why you are here, I believe that you are not here by accident. I believe you are here to hear the truth that there is a radically generous God that gave everything for you. A gift of love and grace that if you want to, you have the ability to accept this morning, right here, today. And it is something that will change your life forever. But for those of us who are followers of Jesus, can testify your world will never be the same but it will be better than anything you have ever experienced. That is a promise I can give to you. So if that's what you've been wondering this morning, and today was your, what you needed to hear was the radical generosity of God towards you, that is my invitation. And if you want to, I'd love to pray with you, or there's a team here that will pray with you after the service to explore what the radical generosity of this God towards you actually means in your life. That's the first question. The second one is this. How can you take a step in being radically generous this week? How can you take a step to being radically generous this week? And I'm going to begin with a couple of suggestions. Take some time to pray. As a follower of Jesus, you know how to do that. And ask God to show you what you have that you can be generous with then I'll ask God to show you a need of how you might be able to be generous and then give you the wisdom and the courage to take a step, knowing that it might cost you something, but knowing that that generosity comes from God's generosity towards you. That's all I'm asking. And I believe, if our scriptures are true, which we believe they are, when you seek to refresh another, you yourself will be refreshed. We are called to radical generosity because of God's radical generosity towards us. Would you pray with me, church? Loving God, we praise you and thank you for your word, for the way that it speaks truth and life and meaning and significance into our journey. And Lord, there's so many different ways that we can live this out so Lord we pray that you would give us the grace to receive this truth and Lord it might be a a truth we're receiving for the first time would you give us the grace to receive it, open up our hearts and our minds to understand it, to know it, to be transformed by it and then Lord would you give us the courage to take a step a step towards you maybe for the first time. But a step towards the radical generosity you show towards us and that you call us to live out in the world even when things are hard. So no matter whether we consider we've got a lot or no matter whether we consider we've got a little, Lord, you call us to a radical generosity and we believe your word when it says... When we give to refresh others, we ourselves will be refreshed in the ways that you decide we need to. So Lord, we thank you, we praise you. In your name we pray, amen. Well, thanks once again for joining us. If this service has been a blessing to you, why not share it with someone you know, or better yet, post it on your social feed because you never know how God might use what you share to bless someone you didn't even know needed it. Special thank you if you contribute towards making this ministry possible. We are so grateful. If you'd like to help, head to GawlerUniting.org.au and follow the links to begin giving. God bless you and we'll see you next time.